Turn to Isaiah chapter 43. It's where we're at today. I last Sunday I began an interruption into my plans that I had designed months ago. I had planned for us to be in the book of Acts. And I don't blame Acts, I blame myself. I've, I said I had sabbaticalitis last week, which is a nice funny term that really amounts to probably burnout. And I don't say that to say that you're the ones to blame. I think a lot of congregations hear burnout and they either A, feel they're to blame or B, judge and say, well, what does he do? And I'm not saying any of you are there, but I wonder, and in fact, No, many of you actually probably sympathize. I mean, who wouldn't after 2020 and COVID, for me also cancer and endless smoky summers and family members and sicknesses and relationships and whatever the case may be. And then on top of all this, because I make great decisions, I have been listening to this podcast series chronicling the rise and fall of a big megachurch. And in that uh, series, there was also an interview with Joshua Harris. Many of you, some of you may have remembered a guy named Joshua Harris who wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, and he released it in 1997. It was all about purity and being mindful of purity while courting. Well, 20 years later, he retracted large sentiments about the book. He had been a pastor himself. He ended up resigning. Then he ended up divorcing. And now he ended up walking away from Christianity altogether. So like I said, I make really good decisions in what I listen to. And in this milieu, I guess, of brokenness and sin and tragedy and sickness, I don't know if I want to say depression, but to use a more medical medical term, blah, we as Christians often know what we should do, right? We, we have those admonitions of, well, you need to try harder to get close to Jesus. You just need to pray more. And I can tell you this, that uh, every day I usually find myself in the Bible, and I've still managed to come to this place of sabbaticalitis. And so we perhaps ask ourselves a very theological loaded question, and that is, what is the deal? <laughs> Right? What is, man? Well, I pray the Lord answers us today in Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 25. I invite you to stand, if you're able to, in honor of hearing the Lord's word. Let's read this together. Isaiah 43, verses 16 through 25. Very familiar passage, I'm sure, to many of you. It says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path, in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Well, I just lost my place. There we go. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, for 
I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert, to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings, or honored me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with offerings, or wearied you with frankincense. You have not brought me sweet cane with money, or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices, but you have burdened me with your sins. You have wearied me with your iniquities. I, I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Let's pray. Father, if... um, Anybody who hears these words finds themselves in similar feelings. We pray that you would use these words to say what it is that you desire. I would say pull us up out of this, but sometimes you put us in our moments or our seasons for reasons that we don't know. Father, whatever it is you desire to do, however it is you desire to teach us, help us just to submit to you, not because you are in angry taskmaster, but you are, you can reveal yourself as a loving father, as a dad who cares about his kids. You have gone before us in the person, work, and power of Jesus. So help us to be obedient with love. We ask and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We're looking for a way in the wilderness is what it amounts to. And over and over in the scriptures, the wilderness is this image of wandering or despair and tragedy and sin. Abram was called out from and told to head into the wilderness. Actually, he was called out from the wilderness, but he went into his own wilderness looking for a new uh, promised land. The wilderness is where Moses went to after leaving Egypt in shame. It's where the Israelites wandered after the exodus. The wilderness is where David ran and hid from his pursuer, King Saul. The wilderness is where uh, Elijah went to thinking God's people were nowhere and he was the only one to be found. The wilderness is where Israel uh, crossed in defeat and shame and headed into Babylon. The wilderness is where King Jesus was tempted by Satan. And so the wilderness can be for us this picture of spiritual funk or blah or sabbaticalitis. I need to get that in the dictionary. And in the wilderness, God says through Isaiah that there are things to remember and things not to remember. First, we hear about what to remember. It's what Israel should have remembered as they wandered in the desert. God says through Isaiah here in verses 16 and 17, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse and army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. What's your Egyptian army? I think with the familiarity of anything comes 
a loss of appreciation. We, we understand, I hope, in these verses that God is talking about the Exodus. Israel had been slaves for 400 years, and in the generation that Moses led, many of the men had been lost by an abortive policy by Pharaoh, so thousands of unarmed, untrained, and largely lacking and fighting men, newly freed slaves, have in front of them the vast Red Sea, and behind them are coming literally the world's greatest empire's army. And that army has a reason to be angry. They too just lost their firstborn sons, saying nothing of all the diseases and ravaging that their empire has just suffered from ten plagues. They have been severely knocked down a few notches. Their empire is definitely at its dusk. And the reason is at its dusk is standing vulnerable before the Red Sea. Do you feel that? Is that your sabbaticalitis? Do you feel like the route before you is impassable? And in the meantime, enemies are gunning for you. Sin is gunning for you. Sinners are gunning for you. A disease is gunning for you. This is no sweat to God. He's not up there pulling his hair out. It's, 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 God makes a way. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters. Again, a parting of the Red Sea. Do you hear that where it seems least likely, where it feels least likely, God is leading you? Constantly in the wilderness, the Israelites would complain about their life in Egypt and how it was so much better. But God says to them, as he said to Peter on the Sea of Galilee, come out onto the waters. This connects to last week. What if... The destination before you is not about location. It's about who you're following. You're following Jesus who's gone before you. He makes a way in the sea and he makes a path in the impassable. And behind you may come the enemies of God. But God has been sovereignly leading his enemies to destruction. Verse 17 says... He brings forth chariot and horse. Did you hear who's the cause of that? He brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down. They cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. I don't know how many times I hear it, and I still don't get it, but evil people don't surprise God. (laughs) Evil plans do not throw God off of his plans. King Solomon would go so far to say in Proverbs 16, verse 4, he says, The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. I mean, I'm not saying that's something to read every night before you go to bed to, but the, the, the chariots and horse chasing the Israelites into the sea, the, the chariots and the horses chasing you into the sea, God's got that covered. These images from the past, from uh, the Exodus, this is what to remember in our wilderness. God is a deliverer. God is a redeemer. God makes a way when there seems to be no way. We should sing a song about that. 
But God also tells his people in Isaiah that there are some things not to remember. We hear, remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. In, in context, God in this entire chapter is saying to Israel that they are going to be delivered from their Babylonian exile. In the day they hear these words from Isaiah, they're a conquered nation again, not by Egypt, but by Babylon. And the remember not here is less literal and more figurative. It's, it is more of a contrast. We, we still use this today when we say, forget about this, I want that. And so God is saying, the deliverance to come is going to far out amaze, out astonish, out mark, out legacy leave, even what Moses did. Because God supernaturally freeing a race of slaves from the most powerful empire on earth was just small potatoes, right? But here's the point you need to know. Don't underestimate God. Don't underestimate God. Sounds obvious, it sounds plain, and kind of like I knew that, but I don't know about you, I do it all the time. You know how I know that all of us do it all the time? It's a little thing called fear. (laughs) Every time we fear that the bad guys will win, we underestimate God. Every time we fear the sin will have us forever, we underestimate God. Every time we feel in the middle of a tragedy unbelieving that it can be redeemed, we underestimate God. What do you not need to remember about the things of old? Uh, The idea that what we've seen God do is all that he can do. (laughs) I was having this conversation with Christy earlier this week. There's this general feeling that I'm sure Democrats experience from about 2016 to 2020, and it just seems inevitable that the world is headed down a wrong road. Bad things are going to happen, and one of us was saying, it's just hard to shake that, like it's hard to not think that this won't end badly. And it's hard to not believe in anything, but the way that we're headed towards is bad, dark times. And then the other one of us maintained the fact that the world is not set in stone, We can conjecture all we want, but the fact is, is tomorrow is not written in our books. Sure, it's written in God's, but the last time I checked, God hasn't given us the news for tomorrow. And what God says to the Israelites waiting redemption from Babylon is, don't consider the things of old. Right? History may repeat itself, so we like to make conjectures, but I think God's got more tricks up his sleeve than just repeating history. God now switches up the imagery for us. He reverses it. He's been reminding the Israelites about the way and the sea and the path and the mighty waters. But now he's going to provide water from the land, which seems like a step up. Like it's one thing to reveal dry land underwater, but when there is no water expected, God's going to provide it. We read in verse 19, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The biblical idea of wilderness was always lost, always endless, and always vague. 
There was no pathway, no road. Abraham was told to leave his homeland, but was not given his ultimate destination. The Israelites wandered 40 years in the wilderness with no end in sight. King David was on the run, not knowing when the pursuit and his foray in the wilderness would stop. The point is, is God says here something unheard of, even in the wilderness. Do you hear that? In the wilderness, not whenever you or I have made it to the promised land or we have ceased from the pursuit of our pursuers, but in the thick of our wilderness experiences, God makes a way. In our dry deserts, rivers spring up. If you're in a sabbatical-itis season like me, hear this. God shows up where you're at now. God meets you here and now, not when you get better, not when you've read enough Bible passages, prayed hard enough, and you've started working on fixing your own problems, but in the wilderness comes away from God. In the desert comes rivers of life. And then picking up from this idea of remembering not the things of old, God says, Behold, I am doing a new thing. Don't underestimate God. He can do new, new things. This, is, uh, this in Isaiah, no doubt, is a reference to Jesus Christ. He is going to be new for the Israelite mind. He's going to far exceed Moses, he will be and is a deliverer and a redeemer, not just from the greatest empire on earth, but perhaps the greatest threat and murderer on the planet, the powers of darkness, hell, and sin. And Jesus just doesn't save the chosen nation of God, but he saves a chosen people of God, a kingdom of saints created by faith in Christ. This is what the next verses are getting to in verse 20. We read, the wild beasts will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches. These are common enemies and unclean animals for the Jewish mind. Therefore, they're symbols of the unclean people or Gentile people. For I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people. I wonder if you hear that. God is saying, I'm going to broaden my family. I'm going to give water reserved for my chosen people to the unclean things. Because God acknowledges to us who He created, namely everybody, Jew and Gentile alike. He says that in verse 21, the people whom I formed for myself, that they might declare my praise. Maybe you've heard this verse. I use it quite a bit. It it reveals to us our purpose. We are formed by God for Himself that we might declare His praise In Him we find our purpose. We find where we thrive. We find our joy. So Jesus is a brand new thing who springs up in the middle of the wilderness. The location of sin. This is what the passage is about. But I wonder too if it can speak to us, any of us, in sabbaticalitis here and now. I admit, I, my Protestant, Bible-believing, fundamentalist, inerrancy tendencies at times, it hinders me. I wholeheartedly believe, let's not exceed scriptures, let's be dogmatic about what the Bible is dogmatic about. Let's live, move, and operate from the truth we've been given. Let's stay close to the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is revealed by scripture. 
All of that being said, let's not put God in a box, though. You and I don't have it all figured out. The Bible presents to us Jesus as the brand new thing that was going to be mind-shattering to the Israelite. Well, let's not pride ourselves to say, well, that was the Old Testament. Jesus showed up in the New Testament, and God never shatters my mind now since I have it all figured out and His Word is in my hands. In the middle of your wilderness right now, again, I say, don't underestimate God. Our wilderness right now, I'll just say it and own it, infinitely pales in comparison to the wilderness of sin that God conquered. The biggest threat we'll ever face is figured out. We're saved from the wrath of God. We're saved from our sins. We're saved from the biggest wilderness we could ever wander And if you and I know that, but we're still concerned, what's the deal with my sabbaticalitis right now, my wilderness? I'll say again, don't underestimate God. He is springing forth right now, even if we don't perceive it. He is making a way in the wilderness, bringing a river to our desert. Don't underestimate Him. And if the wild beasts and the jackals and the ostriches will honor Him, Just as the early church had to have a giant council. Does God save Gentiles? Does he love other people? If your wilderness involves someone, some groups of people, some political parties, some organizations that you don't think could ever be redeemed, what if the wild beasts honor God? What if the jackals and ostriches will be given a drink from the water of life? Don't underestimate God. He's in the business of doing new things. And so we might ask, as I have asked, how do I get there from here? You're painting a nice picture, Kevin, but I'm still blah, to use your medical terms. And God is painfully honest with us. He's painfully honest. See, some people say that this is what we need to do in the middle of your wilderness and your pain. We need a comfort. We need a guide. We need to hold hands. We need to affirm. We need to love. We need to be there. And God does these things. He goes farther and He does better than what any human person can do. He shows up right in the middle of your pain and He says, I'm doing a new thing. God's going to show up in the person and work of Jesus in the middle of our muck and mire. But Jesus is also going to be brutally honest, painfully true. God is brutally honest and painfully true, not because He wants us to feel pain and sorrow and self-pity, but because He empowers us to respond obediently. He empowers us to be who we ought to be because He enters us through the power and the obedience of the Holy Spirit. God says through Isaiah, verse 22, Yet you did not call upon me, O Jacob, but you have been weary of me, O Israel. Jacob and Israel, same name for Israel. Ouch. Israel had to do a lot more than we do to approach God for an audience. So this should hurt more. Do you ever not pray because it sounds like work? Do you ever not open your Bible because you feel like this? More often than not, I'm getting nothing out of it. I don't want to put in the time to read until I feel like I get something. This isn't to step on your toes. I'll be honest, I'm speaking my thoughts from time to time. The wilderness comes and we just, we don't call on God. The wilderness comes and 
It's like a song we sing, prone to wander, God, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Because we think being a Christian means our hand is held by the God of the universe and surely He wouldn't let us suffer. Surely the God who became flesh and suffered for our sins wouldn't let us suffer. <laughs> well, we get, we get weary of God. God continues, You have not brought me your sheep for burnt offerings or honored, honored me with your sacrifices. This is the lot more to do that Israel had to do in order to gain an audience with God. If you look in the law, particularly exciting books like Leviticus, there seems to be this blood spatter direction, meat, food, ceremony, ritual, prayer for every single avenue of gaining gods uh, as an audience. Even so, it was simple enough, it was laid out enough, and even listen to this, God did not see it as wearisome or taxing to us. He says, I have not burdened you with offerings or wearied you with frankincense. Do you hear that? Micah would say similar words too. In Micah 6 and 6 and 7, there are these sarcastic taunts to God. What should I bring to you, God? Gallons of oils? Should I bring thousands of rams? Maybe my firstborn God will suffice. And then we hear memorably in Micah 6, 8, He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? It's not burdensome, says God. It's not hard. It's not overwhelming or or wearisome. Just be good people. (laughs) And even in the New Covenant, what does Jesus say? Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To be a believer is to have an easy yoke. That's the thing put around the oxen. I know you all know that, but I didn't because I didn't grow up on a farm. But the load we carry is light. And even as a believer in Christ, the Creator who made us seems to think that the things He wants us to do, to thrive, and we need to hear that, He doesn't load us up with work arbitrarily or for slave-driving reasons. Rather, the things He commands us to do so that we might thrive and flourish and live in our purpose aren't wearisome or burdensome. We might go back to the fact that God and Isaiah is talking in Old Covenant language and, and we might say, but all those sacrifices and systems, but you read Leviticus and you realize that these are actually often mills, shared mills. In, in fact, the, the glutton in me says, I need to do thanksgiving to repentance for my sins. I'm in. Thanksgiving every week. <laughs> but maybe it's a heart like that where God was not impressed with. Because though they be mills, they, they still be for the forgiveness of sins. In verse 24, um, God says here, You have not brought me sweet cane with money or satisfied me with the fat of your sacrifices. You have not satisfied me with your offerings. It means that many times the people were still bringing offerings, just not satisfyingly. I mentioned this last week. How are your prayers? How are your motives? God gut-checked me this last week. We've been trying to tell Calvin to not chew with his mouth open at meals. Works really well for a four-year-old. You should try it. 
But oftentimes, Christy and I will remind him and remind him and remind him and remind him and remind him. And we lose our patience every single time we remind him, multiple times. I get tired of raising my voice. I don't want to... So one time I just gave him a little flick on the mouth. This was like the fifth time during lunch or dinner. And then I asked him, why did I flick you? And he replied, I don't want to tell you. Uh, it speaks my heart too sometimes, right? <laughs> Any of you ever sin, and if you're honest, you still haven't had that prayer with God? Maybe this is news, but the Bible tells us it's a good thing to voice our confessions to Him. The evangelist John writes, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, that's why God calls us little children. We learn a lot from them. (laughs) I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And apparently God is saying to Israel that when they approached sacrifices for seeking God's forgiveness, they didn't do it satisfactorily they didn't have their hearts in it David writes from his own sin in Psalm 51 and he says for you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it you will not be pleased with a burnt offering the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O God you will not despise but many of us don't want to go there do we many of us do this similarly in the New Covenant by either not praying about forgiveness or just telling ourselves without much emotion, there's grace, God forgives me, I'm still a Christian. And we go about our lives and we bury the conversation with God that we don't want to have. I don't want to tell you. (laughs) We don't want to feel the prick or the flick. And we don't want to answer God why he's convicting us. We say, I don't want to tell you about it. But you have burdened me with your sins, says God. You have wearied me with your iniquities. Being post-New Covenant, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, Holy Spirit, there's grace side of Jesus. We lose sight at times why He came in the first place. We lose sight, we lose hearing phrases like this, which to me echoes what He says when He flooded the world Moses wrote, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. And we hear that and we cower back. Because it's judgmental, you judge. But we need to hear it. Because if we have the heart of God... We really shouldn't like sin either. The sins that I think I enjoy, I really don't like them. I'm like Paul in Romans 7. I do the things I don't want to do. I don't do the things I really want to do. Do we find what God wants for us burdensome? God is saying, I'll tell you what's burdensome, your sins. (laughs) I'll tell you what's wearisome, your iniquities. And we need to hear this because the good news is much more poignant when we're reminded of the bad news. And in the context of Isaiah's prophecy, you need to hear the shift 
that God is doing in his hearers' minds because they're in exile, they're in Babylon. And he opened with, remember how I saved you, how I led you across the Red Sea on dry ground? But then he said, I'm doing something new, something better. I'm providing water out of dry land. I'm delivering you from the wilderness. But he did say to forget the things of old because his new thing is going to be outside the box. And here's how. The things of old that God is referring to, nationalities, ethnicities, empires, people groups. How do I know that? Did you hear how God shifted the discussion? He's not talking about, oh, it must be so bad for you in Babylon. He's saying, you might be wearied and burdened by your exile in Babylon, but you know what wearies and burdens me? Your sin. Your iniquities. And we might say, gee, that's, that's kind of harsh. That's kind of self-centered, God. Here's your people crying out from their wilderness season. You just want to pick on their sins? Or could it be God saying, that's the problem. <laughs> Babylon isn't the problem. Your sin is. Israel's in Babylon to begin with, but that shouldn't have really been by surprise because they had had prophet after prophet, Isaiah included. Isaiah started his ministry before they deported to Babylon. Also, Habakkuk, which we're studying in Dean's class, and their prophecies of exile are filled with commands of, you're bringing this on yourself. Repent, stop sinning, get right with God. So when God brings up their sin problem, he's bringing up the problem. And if you or I are in the middle of our wilderness or our sabbaticalitis, and if we ever feel confronted with sin, you, son, daughter of God, you don't need to take that as a person who needs to cower in despair, as Satan would like for you to do. But that is actually an invitation to run back to God. But he's the one confronting with my sins, and yes, it's an invitation. And here's how God finishes. He says, I am He, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. That's what God remembers no more. Do you hear the rest in that? Just so we get it through our noggins, we're not working here. We're not accomplishing forgiveness or salvation here. We're not doing anything. Rather, God says, I, I am He. And he blots out our transgressions for his own sake. You know what that means? He's satisfied. He is satisfied. So, you can know that if you're in Christ and if you receive Christ, you have a satisfied God who comes to your wilderness, ready to make a way. To make a river in the desert. And if you have your enemies behind you in pursuit, in an uncrossable sea in front, Look again. God's doing a new thing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, last week I brought up the, the passage, or the story, I should say. I don't think I referenced the passage where the disciples wake you up in the middle of a boat because you were in a season of probably burnout. I don't know how else anybody could sleep in a stormy boat. And the first thing you do is rebuke them. And, the, and it's those sorts of statements that jar us, because you are loving, you are good. The disciples loved you for a reason. But then you, 
jar us, any of us would have woken waken you up and but you say, Oh you of little faith. And that's where some of us might be at right now. You've handled worldwide plagues before. You've handled bad governments, good governments, you've handled everything in the history. Sometimes we get so selfish and because we're walking through a season of wilderness we're crying out to you and and maybe what we need to hear is oh you of little faith not because you like picking on us but you want us to grow our faith you want us to trust you so I pray that for anybody who is experiencing a season of wilderness that you would remind them that you do do new things we can see how you've been faithful in the past but we can trust you to be faithful in the future Father for this message of hope and and grace and rest in you, I pray that it would be used to bring more people to your kingdom, that if you might bring us across the paths of other people in coming days, that we could be a voice of hope and peace and rest to them, because that's what you offer. Father, as we uh, prepare for potluck today, we pray you would bless the food that has been prepared, bless our conversation. Father, prepare our hearts and minds to rest in you for this business meeting. We pray that your will would be accomplished. And we ask and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.